Have a seat. Wow, he's a good father. That may be my favorite song right there, right now. So what is it? That whole section going spring break right there? They're all in Moab right now? Thank you to the rest of you for uh, being in your section. We will preach at them next week. Yeah, you know, baptism. Eric, thanks for doing that. And uh, it's so incredible to see the symbol of a life that's been changed. And, you know, as we've been... uh, read Jesus in the church for the last year and a half, going back to uh, Luke and figuring out what Jesus has for us and being a church that's centered on, on him, uh, it has risen to my attention that baptism kind of went off the grid. And he only told us two things to do, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and, uh, and, and the Lord's Supper. Those are the two things he told us to do. And so uh, I don't know what happens. You get caught up in uh, <clears throat> all the stuff you do at church and uh, uh, all the programs, maybe the issues, all that kind of stuff kind of went off our grid, but uh, there's a reason Jesus gave that symbol. You know, whether you're in 2017 or uh, 100 AD, it's the same thing. It's a symbol of being identified with Him, and uh, uh, it's not just you being obedient when you get baptized. It's not just about, because He told you to do it, you should do it, and you should ask Him right now if you haven't been baptized, uh, should I do that? And I'm pretty sure pretty soon he's going to tell you, yeah, you ought to do that. But that's not the main thing. I believe that Jesus put a whole movement around getting baptized, about seeing lives transformed in front of their neighbors, in front of their friends, and it couldn't be stopped. And what went from a couple thousand means you're in this room right now today. People identifying with Jesus and uh, uh, so it's, it, uh, it went off the grid somewhere, but I believe that as we uh, get baptized, give our testimony, even though it's scary. I loved how you said that, Eric. I'm scared to do this, and that's what I hear mostly. I'm not getting in front of everybody, and I, I, I can barely read anyway. I'm not going to read my thing. Well, we'll read it for you if you want, and, or we'll put you on video when you can do it. I don't know. We'll do whatever you need to, but, but your testimony uh, <clears throat> is, uh, is a powerful thing. It says God can, if he did this here, he can do this here. And it's beautiful. So I really appreciate it. And Easter, by the way, we're going to have some baptisms then. How, how about that? It's a cool time to get baptized. You know, we're celebrating the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus. And you getting baptized on that day, if you're all about that, um, that's a perfect day. Now, we are uh, putting some energy into Easter this year. We're excited about it. God put it on my heart last fall that uh, any given Sunday, 20 to 30% of the people in the room, I am praying for this, 20 to 30% of the people in the room uh, are either just getting started with Jesus or checking it out and aren't sure yet. And so I don't, not only want this to be a safe place for you if you're in that spot, um, I want you to love it here uh, and experience the life of our simple vision of loving God and loving people. And so Easter's a great day for you to invite your friends. Uh, it's, a, it's a great day. We're, we're going to have some fun on that day, and uh, we've been putting some energy into that, and I'm looking for a really great celebration. Oh, and if you want to get baptized, talk to us about that. Doug Stewart, thank you so much last week for stepping in. Uh, yeah, it could happen to you. Be careful, right? I mean, Daniel was supposed to speak, and uh, mid-afternoon, he said, can't do it. He's just too sick, and I wasn't in a spot uh, uh, to do it. And uh, so, 
Doug Stewart, and don't let us know if you can do that because you may end up Saturday night finding out that you're doing it the next day. Uh, but thank you for it. And you should have gotten one core message from that last week, a singular message that uh, the kingdom is in our midst, right? Uh, it's not something observable where you go here or you go there, if you call the scripture from last week. It's right here in our midst, right here in you and around you. You should have gotten that. And uh, if you're in a growth group, uh, I'll bet your discussion this week was interesting. Was that a mm-hmm, Rhonda? Uh, yeah, ours was, Thursday morning, because the scripture that's after that kingdom in your midst thing, where the Pharisees come and ask Jesus, uh, when's the kingdom coming? And he gives that answer of it's in your midst. And then he turns to the disciples and starts giving them a bunch of future things about what's going to happen in the future. Like it's going to be this cosmic lightning thing from one end of the horizon all the way to the other. And two people are going to be in the field and one's going to be taken. Two people are going to be in the house and one's going to be gone. And if all this stuff starts to happen while you're uh, on the top of a roof, it says, don't go down to get your stuff. Take off. That was some interesting growth group question. I mean, uh, you know, because I mean, we had, uh, uh, we, we had people, I'm in two growth groups, so I can, I can uh, play them against each other. Um, our, our, our Wednesday was pretty, pretty cordial and pretty cool. Our, our Thursday morning, you guys, woo, uh, going after it um, around what's going to happen in the future, because Jesus was talking about future things and future timeline. And I know some of you, when you were listening to that message last week and you were looking at that text, you were going, Oh, right, now we're talking about end time stuff. We're going uh, to hit all that, and uh, we didn't even plan on doing that. And here's one of the reasons. Uh, not just because we're just doing a flyby, but because um, Jesus, I think, is laying some seeds about timelines and things and events in chapter 17. But in chapter 21, uh, he explodes it. So what he was doing was leaving some... Uh, kind of bombs in there for you to think about, and uh, even Daniel wasn't going to hit that. Uh, as much as you uh, end-timers, eschatology people were excited about that, uh, that's coming, um, but uh, like, like in August or whatever. But there's a message underneath that, an application underneath that, that I think that Jesus had that's so powerful. This is like an extra sermon for you, and so I, I, don't, get, I don't think we have to count this time-wise. <laughs> so... Uh, it says, but look at the context of what it was saying in there. I'm doing it off the top of my head, but, but you can remember it. It says, the kingdom of God is in your midst. And then it talks about these people talk next to each other. One's going to be taken, and one's going to be, uh, be left. And uh, I know that there's a bunch of us who spend a bunch of time about blood moons and left behind series and um, all of that kind of stuff. If you just look at the context of chapter 17, go back and look at it you're going to see that Jesus is talking about future things with the kingdom present in mind. And you cannot read the book of Luke, and you're supposed to kind of read it all at once, actually. I think that's what Luke, we're taking basically two and a half years to do it, but if you read it all at once, you would have, you would have picked up on the fact that compassion towards other people, that what's going to happen in the future ought to bring you to the present, and what's going to happen for people in the present who are standing in the field right next to you. You know, that's the real application of what that chapter was about. So, oh, you don't, you don't sit there and go, whoo, I'm the one who gets taken and they're the one who gets left, or am I the one being left? 
If you're a Jesus follower, he's got that taken care of. We'll talk about that. But you ought to go, how is my neighbor? Everything is interpreted through the Shema, remember? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. That's my neighbor standing right next to me out in the field. And if I, if I'm, if I am engaged with my neighbor beyond the work we're doing in the field, and I have a concept about the future, then I am going to bring the kingdom in the present. That is a really cool truth. Go back and check it out. Maybe Jesus was telling you about that stuff for what you'll do now, not just to put your theology together about what's going to happen in the future. We'll put some pieces together around that. And there are some hard days that it talks about in the future. Um, but uh, I, want, I, I wanted to make sure that you had a chance to just contemplate that. And Jesus was saying some hard stuff there. It's going to be some hard days uh, in the future. And... Uh, but he's got it. If you read the whole book, it's like a love letter to you saying, I've got this. I've got this. You be about what you need to be about, which happens to be the guy standing next to you in the field, but I've got this. He didn't tell you anything in the Bible and about the future without love all over it, saying, you can trust me on this. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. But in the present, right there, it, it leaves them with some hard days are coming. And then it goes to chapter 18, which is my, um, that was the freebie. That was the tangent right there, uh, which is what I want to talk about today. Jesus talks about two parables on prayer. And uh, he's already talked about prayer. Let's sync up a few things that he said. Remember last summer, we, uh, uh, we did a whole series on praying the vision out of Luke chapter 11, where we talked about our Father who art in heaven. Holy is your name, right? We went through that, that whole thing. And then, he, uh, after he gave the Lord's Prayer, and when you're praying the Lord's Prayer, if you recall this, you are praying the Shema. That's where it's, uh, that you are praying loving God and loving people. It's vertical and it's horizontal. You should go back to that frequently and just pray your life through the, the Lord's Prayer. And then Jesus gives some instruction about prayer. And we did a message on this. And I wanted to capture this idea because I think it frames what we're going to talk about uh, today in these two parables. You, you've got to have what he talked about back then uh, linked up to this. Um, at least in my heart, that's how I've seen it. Remember that bit about, uh, hey, when you pray, it's like somebody who has guests come over at night and you don't have enough food for him. Remember this message? And you go knock on your friend's door, and he goes, go away, I'm in bed. The house is all locked up. I'm in bed with my kids. Uh, and then you keep knocking, and uh, it says, the Scripture says, uh, he will not open the door for, for you because you're friends, but because of your boldness, the boldness of your requests. It said, now I wanted to bring out that word boldness, because when we do, uh, dove into the Greek uh, back then, it, it, um, the root of it had, remember? Shh, does anybody remember? I know you guys do, because you're doing it all the time. Remember the underlying words? Shameless audacity. Boom! Man! I, you know what? I didn't think anybody was going to do that. Um, honestly. <laughs> Shameless audacity means shameless audacity, meaning that uh, you're standing there knocking on the door. It doesn't matter what I look like. I don't care what people think of me. God, here I am. Audacity means big and huge. Big. God wants you to pray. The, the point of that is God wants you to pray big prayers. That's what he was teaching us back then. Bold prayers. Impossible things. 
Okay, I hope, it's, I hope you're remembering that now. It's supposed to be big. Matter of fact, I think if you're not praying big prayers, impossible prayers, you're insulting God. Why? You don't need him. You don't need any divine intervention. What is he, why does he need to ask it if you're not praying big stuff? Because why don't you just go do it? I mean, you get to talk to him because he's your dad. Okay, I'm not trying to throw that under the bus. But what I am saying is, I think, big, bold prayers honor God, and God honors big, bold prayers. I think you've got to put that in the context of the parable we're going to talk about right now. I think that the way you pray now has everything to, be, uh, to determine what your life is going to be like spiritually a year from now. Your prayers are a script for your life. They are like prophecy almost. What you pray and how you pray is defining what God is going to do in your life as you go forward. Do you realize the implications of that? Pretty big, big audacious prayers. That's what Jesus told us back in chapter 11. And I think you honor him when you pray stuff that you can't do. I think you honor him when you uh, bring up stuff that uh, uh, you, you don't have a clue. I think you honor him when you invite him to change things around you and in your world uh, that you couldn't possibly change. I think he expects you to do that. I think that's, that what, that's what that parable was about. So then, if you pick it up in Luke chapter 11, I want you to have that in your mind because I think that's what you're supposed to be praying. Now we're going to talk about the way you're supposed to be praying and the heart you're supposed to have as you pray it. Uh, we're going to do two parables right here. And uh, I, think, I think you're going to like this because I think, uh, actually, there's not a one of us here who uh, won't get a challenge and some hope through this. So uh, Jesus, verse 1 of chapter 18, then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. If you're using your uh, worship study Bible is seven, page 732. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God to care or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. I will see that she gets justice. You know, a judge is supposed to give justice. That's the basic job of what a, just, uh, a judge does, brings justice. Now, justice is kind of hard. Aristotle basically said, giving somebody what they're due. And I think that's a pretty good definition of it. A judge is supposed to give somebody what they're due. And the, the judge that Jesus is pointing out here, or drawing a picture of, is a judge that doesn't have any reference to God no moral code, and doesn't have any love for people. No theological argument or plumb line is on his mind, and no concern relationally is on his mind. Uh, this is a judge who over time got uh, into the position or um, jaded by seeing everybody's problems. I don't know. But this judge, Jesus is trying to point, this is reverse Shema, by the way. He doesn't love God. And he doesn't love people. And then he has this widow in the story. And a widow, uh, he, he 
used intentionally because she is the uh, most needy and lowest person um, because of her circumstances, not necessarily because of who she is, uh, in the culture. She has no resources to draw on, nobody to advocate for her. She has nothing uh, that uh, she can leverage to get what she needs. And so Jesus gives this picture of a lady who keeps coming back because that's all she has. It's all she has. And so this judge who couldn't give a rip about her, on Monday, she's at the back of the line, and, he, and she comes up and she says, Judge, I need justice. I think it's pretty cool that she comes to the judge, not her adversary. There's something about that in it, too. Good observation. I got that from one of our elders. I think that's pretty cool. So she, on Monday, is before him. I need justice here. Go away. On Tuesday, I need justice here. Oh, go away. Three weeks later, I need justice here. This is not right. Make this right. Give me what I'm due. Go away. Till finally, uh, you could pester him to the point that he says, uh, because this woman keeps, this widow keeps bothering me, I see that she will get justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. Literally means give him a black eye. I don't know if that means like smack him or publicly uh, do it. But finally, she just I, I, I've had enough. Okay, here's your justice. Go and take it. Now, this is an odd story, isn't it? It's a little bit odd because you obviously know that Jesus is not giving a lesson on civics or something like that. He's talking about God. And he said, the reason I'm telling you this is so that you don't give up in prayer. And so, uh, are you seeing a, a God that is, is Jesus trying to say that God is kind of like that? And if you just bug him enough, finally, he'll say, oh, okay, here's your justice. Well, no, this is absolutely comparative. Jesus is intending to compare one against the other. A judge that is like this will even give justice if uh, they are hassled and persistent. But a judge who is like this, who says you are not just a widow, you are a chosen one, it says. I kind of want to tell you where it says that. Because it says in verse 6, listen to what the unjust judge says. And, and will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, the Son of Man comes, uh, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? You're a chosen one. You're actually where the, the, uh, the unjust judge wants you wants to get rid of you, the just judge and father wants you to request and pursue him to be with you. Now, this is the grammar of God. What do I mean by that? My phone went dead right before I came out, but I'd text you all something. And every time, you know, all of the, everybody I text with, um, you know, I do, because you can dictate it, you go dot, 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 and you get three dots between two, between two thoughts. Then that way you don't have to make sure your sentence is like complete or something when they're evaluating. But, but you know, you can go, uh, yeah, that sounds good, dot, 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 I'll be over there soon, dot, dot, dot. That's called an ellipse in grammar. And uh, not that I'm using grammar, I'm just texting. But 
when you, uh, but I, I think that's a significant uh, piece of grammar because it means like a pause. It means like a wait. It means like, uh, um, hang on a sec. And I think when you pray before this just judge, before this good God, before this Father, I, he, he hears you. And he says, yes, dot, dot, dot. And there's a bunch of space sometimes between the yes and, as you would say, Kathy, the amen. I think you said that two weeks ago. Between the yes and the amen. Between the yes and the answer. Now, what does it mean when he says quickly? He will come. Uh, he will see that she gets justice. Um, I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. Quickly does not mean soon. It means that when he does come with it, it comes quickly and completely. So it doesn't mean that you pray. Matter of fact, that's the whole context of this parable. It doesn't mean that you pray one and done and boom and that's it. I prayed that like 22 years ago and so that's good. And uh, no, the reality is you prayed that 22 years ago, you got started, dot, 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 and you're still praying. You're still persistent. You're still pursuing that's the grammar of God. Now, I know and believe that something is happening in that time, don't you? Some of us who have been doing the Jesus thing for a long time know that something happens in that time. Between the prayer and the answer, there's some significant change. Maybe in me. You know, God could change and move the whole world, the whole world, to answer your prayer. Now, that's a little beyond our scope, but that's not beyond His. And, I don't know, in his timing, he might decide that that's a 20-year project or a 25-year project. I don't know. Some of you guys have been praying a while, right? Some of you have been praying a while. Some of you have qu quit praying quite some time ago. That's why Jesus told this parable. That's why he told it. F to understand that he is looking for your persistence, your pursuit of him. He is looking. He's not, uh, he is not absence, absent in the silence. He is not absent uh, in the fact that it hasn't been answered yet. I don't think any of us get out uh, uh, from this message. Y'all been praying something, or y'all stopped praying something. I'm absolutely sure that 100% of unprayed prayers go unanswered. Yep. I'm pretty sure that everything you didn't pray or everything you stopped praying, uh, you just confirmed. But Jesus gave you this parable so that you wouldn't quit, so that you would continue praying, continually after it, continually. Now, this is in the context of justice where you see something in the world that's not right or something in your world that's not right. God, come through here. I'm asking you. God, I'm asking you come here. This is, needs to change. Lord, we were talking about that yesterday. I'm asking you. And you continue to pursue. And you continue to pursue. That's the grammar of God, dot, dot, dot. Because there is a space on almost, seems like most things. There's a space between when we pray it and when he answers it. And what happens in the meantime probably is bigger than we can ever imagine. 
What's happening to us, what's happening in the world around us, is probably bigger than we can even know. But you keep at it, and you keep at it. Jesus has basically given you a pep talk here because you have a just judge who sees it, who loves your request, who desires to give you uh, a good answer. He's looking to bless you. I really believe that. Now, I, I get the idea that you pray and you pray and you pray and then you pray and 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 it even gets worse than what you were praying about and it's even gone further south than from what you, whatever I'm saying, from that. And then you go, well, you really aren't a good God. Because if you were, you would have answered my prayer. But that's over there somewhere. You're not there yet. Oh, I know there's all these why questions and all that kind of stuff. I've noticed things I've been praying for for a long time. I started with why, and I don't end with an answer. Some of you guys know this who persevered over years. You started with why did this happen? Why does this person do this? Lord, what is the reason for this? And then he's going dot, 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 because the answer to that is not as important as my answer to your prayer of what you need we all think we need a why answer. And uh, uh, maybe sometimes he gives them, but uh, I don't think that's the main point. What he gives you is him. I will be with you all the way through. That's pretty cool. That's pretty beautiful. And I, I, I think it says something very interesting, doesn't it? Jesus it's, it's, sometimes is so random. Really, he goes um, in verse 8. Throw it up there. I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Wait, wait a minute. I just thought we were talking about justice. I know we were talking about prayer. So when he comes in these future events, remember that, that's what he's saying here. When he comes, is he going to find faith on the earth? If he came right now uh, bodily, would he find faith in the earth? Well, what does faith look like given what we just read? You don't, you don't read uh, that, that little sentence right there, will he find faith on the earth, and then go, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go back and find all the verses on faith to understand what he said. That would be helpful, but that's not the point. What is the context right there? You know what faith is going to look like if he shows up? People who are praying still. Prayer and faith seem to be together. And I think the whole idea of persistence and perseverance is continually praying. And your faith is actually supposed to increase over that. Or will he find a lot of people who are just like, I prayed too many times. I didn't get answers. If you really loved me. And then they're over here telling other people, you know, all the pain. If there was a real God in the universe, he wouldn't let this happen. Getting all the No, if I keep praying and praying, my heart changes. My faith changes. Might get, it, it, it could be years, decades. It may be uh, in eternity. I know he answers the prayer. I know he says yes. Will he find faith? I think that's interesting. Don't you think that's kind of interesting that it says there? Faith and prayer are together. You pray in faith, and as you pray, your faith increases. That's maybe why he is blessed by your bold prayers, that you pray beyond what you can think or imagine because it's past what you can come up with. You're sort of praying by faith, and maybe you're just going for home, you know, Homer, and, uh, uh, and it doesn't make sense, but then he changes you over time. The whole world could change as you pray.
uh, you know, I felt like this was something that our church and our staff uh, needed to uh, spend some time in. And so we quarterly do what I call a quarterly off-site, and we take the staff somewhere around the valley or, or someplace, and we uh, do training or talk about a, a book that we've read or something. And I felt like uh, because of what God is doing in our midst, we needed to, our staff needed to um, have more of an attitude and culture of prayer. And so um, last month, actually, uh, we went up to Redstone, and uh, we worked through a book called The Circle Maker by Mark Batterson. Awesome book. I think you'd love it. And uh, uh, you've read it, nodding your head. Cool. Um, uh, we, we were impacted by it, and we worked through this book. And it's all based on this story where uh, this Mark Batterson, who's a pastor in uh, D.C., was digging through old Jewish literature, the Talmud and, and stuff like that, and found this uh, uh, first, cent- or first century B.C. event where uh, there was a famine and, and drought uh, all throughout Israel. The, uh, the prophets, they haven't been around for 400 years. Uh, they are uh, uh, not a lot of faith in Israel at that time. Uh, but there was one guy who lived outside the uh, temple, wall, not the temple walls, the city walls, kind of an eccentric, eclectic, mystic guy named Honi, H-O-N-I. And uh, uh, Honi still believed, uh, it had been for a number of years, I guess, uh, without water. And they were worried about the generation dying off, actually. The next generation, by the way, is Jesus. And so, uh, no rain. And Honi, this guy, believed that God would provide. He prayed and he prayed and he prayed. And I guess for a long time he prayed. Um, A lot of dot, 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 dot. Praying that God would be merciful and bring water. And so, um, he walks out. Apparently, this is how it goes. He walks out in a large crowd of people that are outside the, the temple, or outside the city gate with a six-foot staff, and he puts it in the ground, and he turns around and draws a circle in the dirt. And he says, in God's holy name, I ask you to be merciful to your people, and I will not leave this circle until it rains. And uh, everybody went, there's that crazy honey dude. You know, building an ark, and uh, but I would, and then he kept crying out. I don't know. I guess a long time didn't leave the circle, and then some drop. You know how the story's going to go, right? Some drops started to fall, and everybody got really excited. But he, but all it was was a light kind of just drizzle, and he stood there. I did not pray for this rain. I prayed that our cisterns would be full. <laughs> massive deluge of flooding water. They had to run everywhere. Apparently people were running to the Temple Mount to get away from the flooding, but Honey stayed right there. I did not pray for this type of water. I prayed that our cisterns would be full. It stopped, and then there was that sun. Uh, This is what the legend says. There was that sun and rain, calm rain, and it rained for hours and hours and hours that way. He drew a circle around it. And he stood in that circle and he said, I'm not moving, Lord, until you do something here. I love that image. What are you drawing a circle around? And he's saying, Lord, I'm not moving from this spot until you show up, until you bring rain. I'm not moving in this spot 
until that person knows Jesus. I'm not moving it from this spot until that relationship is repaired. I'm not moving in this, from this spot until there's transformation in this area. I'm not moving from this spot. Draw a circle in it. I think that's what Elijah did. There was a, there, I think Honey might have got his idea from Elijah, who in 1 Kings 18, uh, there was another drought right there. And he was, at, he was on Mount Carmel with the prophets of Baal, nothing, uh, it, it, no water ever, and he gets up, and one time he prays, bring rain, nothing happens. Two times he prays, bring rain, nothing happens. Three times, bring rain, nothing happens. Four times, bring rain. I think he would have prayed hundreds of times. On the seventh time, his servant sees a cloud off in the distance. And his answer was on his way. And so there's this idea of praying through something. You pray through so that God will come through for you. Draw a circle around it. What do you need to draw a circle around right now? Maybe you've drawn a circle a long time ago and you've been frustrated and discouraged and you stepped out of it. And maybe God's asking you to step back in it and keep praying for that thing because he wants to do something about it. He wants to answer your prayer. But it's not one and done. This is weird, isn't it, that he set it up that way. There's going to be some work. It's going to be some persistence. That's kind of a problem in this day and age of Christianity right now because uh, that's, that doesn't go over great. That's not a great message. But the reality is, yes, it's work. And yes, it's beautiful as you walk through it. Draw a circle around it. You know, uh, there is another parable here. <clears throat> and uh, it fits really interestingly with the uh, parable we just did. Because if that's how we're to go about it, how we're to go about it is persistently. He didn't say you're supposed to use this kind of language or, or you know, sometimes you're praying right, sometimes you're not praying right. This is not a formula. It's It's faithfulness. It's continualness in it. That's, that's how you pray. This is what kind of heart we need when we do it. To some who were confident, verse 9, of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. I was reading that and just remembered at the very beginning of this message, I had the coolest video for you. <laughs> but you're not going to get to see it. Oh, man, I mean, I thought it was pretty darn funny about God Co. and Geico and prayer. And for those of you who can't pray, we'll get that TV preacher for you. Um, sometime I'll show it to you another time. It's really random. I'm mean, reading this going, what did I do? I forgot the coolest video I've ever found for you all. Oh, all right, just want to let you in on the inner workings there. There is no value to what I just said. So he, saw, he talks to people here. Too. It's, it's equally comparative, by the way. 
okay? If, if the other two you were supposed to compare two, ju- two judges, now you're comparing two prayers. And so you get this guy who stands up, and what is he doing? He's comparing himself to other people. And before you throw him under the bus too much, it's easy to do that. It's, it, before you throw him under the bus and go, you know, those Pharisees, what do you, why do you think Jesus is telling the story? It gives an interesting perspective when he says, uh, uh, when this, the uh, tax collector starts to speak, stood at a distance, he wouldn't even look up to heaven, beat his breast and said, God have mercy on me, a sinner. You see how it says a sinner right there? That is translated okay, but, there, uh, but it's, the article probably would be the. It's, it actually, um, the Greek has a the instead of an uh. I think it reads better with a uh, and that's why they gave that to you. But a the adds some significance. One guy is talking about himself and how he relates to one another. Uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm really kind of glad, Lord, that I don't have the same problems as that guy. Thank you for sparing me from having to do with that. That's, you know, having the, oh, you can just you can feel yourself almost pray it if you're not careful. And then you get this other guy who's going, uh, you know, God have mercy on me, the sinner. I don't know how much somebody else sinned or didn't sin. This is me right before you hear, Lord, have mercy on me, the sinner. These two parables are connected. You're supposed to have bold, audacious prayers where you persistently go with a heart, a contrite heart, knowing where you stand in this whole equation. And what's interesting is the father then turns and says, oh, you're a chosen one. But the attitude isn't busting down the door of the judge and saying, you will give me what I'm asking for. Like you're going to give God a black eye. No, you're going to be mer- have mercy on me I'm before you, Lord. I think they go together. These parables go together, and that's the heart of it. So when you draw a circle, you draw a circle with a, with a humbleness about what you're saying, an expectancy about what you're saying or going to ask for, but you draw that circle with a humble heart that says, me, Lord, I'm, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not in any position to ask you this, but here I am, and, I, and this is on my heart, and I'm gonna, we're going to keep doing this because I'm not getting out of this circle until, until you answer have you, do, you have, do you have specific things in your own life where you've drawn a circle around and you've seen it happen? This has been a really interesting time for me, honestly. The last uh, three weeks, um, I've been stewing on this text. And I, you know, I'll, uh, about 80% of what I get is when I'm out walking. That's my time. I have people who say, I want to walk with you. No, I can't, man. I got an appointment. Because uh, that's where God's going to sh- reveal things to me and show me these things. And, uh, and so it's really been an interesting time in my life right now to be looking at this text uh, with my mom and all that kind of stuff. Because uh, uh, a month ago, my mom went to Santa Fe uh, to uh, be with friends and go to art galleries. She's 82 and um, kind of a little old curmudgeon. Um, but very cultural, and goes down to see all the art museums. She has a heart attack there. And she finds that one of her uh, valves from the, the heart doctor is almost completely closed. And uh, she said, you know, we're not going to do surgery for that. I'm 82. I've lived a good life. Matter of fact, I'm ready to go. I want to go. Um, I'm ready for the next thing. 
That's what she always called it. Yeah, I'm good with the Lord. I'm ready for the next thing. I'm looking forward to the adventure. Well, we've got to figure out what to do with you, Mom. You haven't died. so. Uh, <laughs> and, and we're not basically as good with the next thing as you are about you. And so uh, we get an ambulance, bring her back. Uh, with 50, I guess you uh, medical people, 15 uh, liters of oxygen is, is a lot. Um, like if you don't have that, you don't do too well. Bring her back to Grand Junction where she lives, and uh, the three of us, my brother, I, and my sister, decide, uh, okay, uh, we'll each take a week of caregiving and see which way this goes. My sister went first, which was good for my mom because she's a pretty good caregiver. I'm not a great caregiver. I'm more like a coach. My mom would be in the other room and say, could you get this for me? And i go, oh, I think we talked about that, Mom. I think you can handle that. And then she would yell out of the room, yeah, I guess you're right, I can. And she would get up and come get it and, and uh, <clears throat> go team. And uh, team mom. And, uh, and, and she started to get a lot better. Matter of fact, we took her oxygen down from 15 down to 4 eventually. And that was going to change a lot of her mobility. And we went out for a drive uh, even. Um, and uh, then my, and, and oh, there was one time um, where... Uh, it was dinner time, just me and her. We had a whole week. And uh, she, uh, I said, Mom, why don't you pray? I mean, because when you're the pastor, your family all expects you to pray at everything. You're, you just have to do it. And I'm all the time trying to get the rest of my family to pray. Mom, why don't you pray? All right, I'll pray. Lord, you know I wanted to go. It's not going like that. So <laughs> if you want, she was very direct. Uh, and so if you want me uh, here for another month, Two, maybe uh, a year, I, I'll trust you with that. I said, Mom, why don't you put your hands up on that one? And she put her hands up and said, all right, Lord, it's yours. And I thought, oh, wow, pretty good moment. And, uh, and then, you know what we did? We also, I, this was just such the coolest week for me because uh, I did oral histories where I did videos uh, of her, and she was sharp as a text, sharp as can be. Um, and um, so I did these videos. She was able to take us right from her... Uh, young childhood all the way up to marriage um, and uh, it was it was really it was really special actually she ended up having a week with each one of us uh, my brother actually last Sunday a week ago took her to dinner that night and um, then uh, uh, Monday morning my brother called me at five and said in tears mom has passed and uh, I said I'll be right there and I got in the car. You know, you hate that call. And uh, I know some of you have had that call. And I'm driving down. You know how when God speaks to you, you can remember the exact spot? I can remember the exact spot. So I'm driving down. It's not a fun drive. It was like the worst storm of the year in South Canyon a, a week and a half ago on a Monday. It was terrible. But, you know, you're on a mission, so you, you don't care. And um, it took me an hour and 15 minutes to get from Glenwood to Rifle. So it was a, but uh, right as I go uh, down the hill to Debec, I, I sense here, I don't know how that works sometimes. You prayed this, you prayed for this. You prayed for this. And I just laughed in my car. I prayed for this. Four years earlier, I, I was having anxiety about some, this upcoming thing that was going to happen someday with my mom. 
what that would mean for my family, what that would mean for her, we, you know, all this stuff. And I started praying. I drew a circle around my mom four years ago. Now, I know this is a, near, a, a, a weird one. It's not like you draw a circle around somebody dying, but that's what I did. I drew a circle around and said, Lord, uh, a lot of things. I look for you to bring completeness in this, that it would be perfect timing for her and for us. And that, that, was, that was four years ago. And then about uh, twice a week, I, I don't, it wasn't like a, like a schedule, but it's how it worked. I'm praying again because it would come to me. Lord, and then I'll start to pray more specifically. Lord, I pray for her pastor and her church that she's being encouraged in her faith. You know, and then, and then um, I, I would, sometimes I would pray, Lord, how's this gonna work? I don't know. And uh, uh, I mean, I got a lot of things I got circles around, but um, I, I had forgot I drew a circle around this. And I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed. And right going down that hill, I, you prayed for this. I was filled with joy, to be honest with you, I was filled with joy and had no reason to believe that what was happening right in that moment wasn't a complete and perfect answer to the prayer that I prayed. It was, it was crazy going down. You know, you've been there. She's there. My brother's there. We're crying. He turns and says, Charlie, you better pray. And uh, that wasn't an easy time to pray, but it's pretty real, I think. Um, I had been walking on this text all week before that. And that walk that afternoon was joy-filled. Joy-filled. Wow. Now, I am self-aware enough to know that I've got, uh, you know, there's a grieving process. And there's some loss around it. And I'm not saying I got it nailed or anything like that. And right now I'm in the velocity of all of this, uh, uh, um, you know, estate stuff and everything like that. And I'm pretty tired and everything like that. But it is covered in this really cool assurance that God has answered my prayer and answered hers. And I believe that that is the end of the story. I don't think that's the end of the work related to this because he leverages everything on behalf of the people that he loves. And so I believe that my relationship with my siblings is going to be better. This is the time where it can really go worse. But I believe that it's actually going to be better because I'm walking in the middle of something I drew a circle around. Now, that's a weird one to draw a circle around, but I just share the testimony with you. And I don't know what you draw a circle around, what you need to draw a circle around, what you want to draw a circle around, that you will step in and you will stay there. I say whatever's on your heart, draw a circle around and let God change it as you walk with him. That's what I'd do. Whatever doesn't seem whole, whatever doesn't seem just, I'd draw a circle around that, step in that and say, I'm not moving until that changes and I'm, I'm willing to accept that it's going to change the way you want and that's going to be better than I thought. I honestly uh, wouldn't have thought or even planned that it was going to be uh, Monday, um, March 6th. I'd have still put that off a while. But I can accept that this, a circle's been drawn around it and it's in your hands, Lord. I don't know what you need to draw a circle around. What's not just, what's not complete. But that's my challenge to you. Stay faithful in it. With a humble heart, stay faithful in it. You know, there's an interesting irony in this scripture right here. Jesus talks about an unjust judge who doesn't love God and doesn't love people. And Jesus, in just a few months, 
is going to be standing in front of an unjust judge who doesn't love God and doesn't love people, doesn't love him. And for political expediency, is going to say, crucify him. And then the whole crowd is going to say, crucify him. And it's like Jesus stepped into a circle and said, I'm going to stay here until it's complete. And he says, it's finished. When he dies on the cross and his body was given for you and his blood was shed for you so that you could draw a circle in front of a holy God and be able to request whatever it is on your heart. I think that is incredible. And I think as you take communion, there's not a single Jesus follower in the room, not a single one of you, not a single one of you who doesn't have something to draw a circle around. You don't walk out of here today going, well, that one wasn't for me. There's not a single one of you that doesn't either need to get back in the circle or draw a circle around something. And so what I want you to do is you take communion up there, wherever you take it, um, you thank him that he stepped into a circle for you and that you can step into a circle for whatever he wants, you want to pray, whatever you want to do. You work that out with him, how you say that. Think of the ramifications. I, can't, I couldn't be more excited to think about what would happen if the Jesus followers at the orchard drew a circle around what was on their heart and prayed it all the way through. The testimony will be incredible. Let me pray. Lord, I thank you so much that you care and you want to hear what we have to say and that you want us to be persistent and that uh, you're calling us to do that now. So I pray for your people here at the orchard who call you by your name and identify with you as a follower of yours that you will give them the faith and the encouragement to say I Lord I'm going to pray about this I'm going to request about this I'm going to ask about this until I see it we thank you Jesus so much that you have made a way for us. That you have come, sacrificed yourself, said it is finished so that we, Lord, could come to you. We just praise you for that. See our hearts. In Jesus' name. We'll have some people up here you can pray with. and uh, that's an